Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julie, and today I'm joined by David Donnelly from Old Blighty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a very British accent. Good good evening, sir. How are you? Oh, hello, jolly good. Um, and from the Great White North, our Canadian, our resident, nice person, Mark, Marcus Almighty. Greetings, sir. How are you? We were going to do a different episode today, uh, but schedules being what they are, let me translate that into English, schedules being as they are, um, things don't always happen, so we've postponed that episode. But in light of recent news, um, and that is, of course, the passing of Eddie Van Halen, we did want to get together and just talk a little bit about Van Halen. You know, some of the albums, some of the music, our, you know, shared experiences um, with the music. And, uh, you know, just to kind of pay pay tribute to, I guess I'm going to call him my generation's Jimi Hendrix, um, because that's often what I feel about him as a, a guitarist. David, as a musician, you know, where do you kind of place Eddie Van Halen as a musician at this time? Um, well, I, I sort of when I discovered them, I've just come out of the kind of punk thing, and uh, you know that that's that sort of thing. And I think that very much like Motorhead, they were one of the bands that it was all right to like if you're into the sort of you know punk side of things. And um, but I, I somebody um, it, what it was was on. Um, do you remember the US Festival? That big mm-hmm. festival in 1983. Am I right? 83. Yeah. Well, that was broadcast at about two o'clock in the morning on, you know, British TV's only running all night station. (laughs) And I used to sort of watch that. And I remember the US Festival being great, had the clash on it, had missing persons. And then um, then Van Halen came on. And I just it was one of those brilliant moments where you just I wasn't sure what I was watching. You know, it was kind of like it was so like Dave Lee Roth was so out of the box as it were you know and people tell me it wasn't one of their best shows but i guess it's um it's like again it's like the timeline thing where it depends where you came in at and that was the first thing i saw and um and i just i was just fascinated i was fascinated by by how you can make sounds come out of that because i i went backwards with a lot of my music i discovered hendrix later do you know what i mean mm. Yeah. I was so because i was growing up in the glam rock punk thing i was just i was very blinkered for a long time and it was it was only sort of later on in in teenage years where I sort of swam out into deeper waters, as it were. You know, much you know. I wish I hadn't. I'd be a better guitarist now if I had heroes earlier on, like Hendrix and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, uh, that, that's going to be an interesting thing that you know each one of us plays guitar. I mean, two of you properly and professionally, and one of us knows which direction to hold it. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and models along on rhythm with, with very little lead. So that'll be an interesting. I did, I did actually use a 5150 amp for um for the crashing up single. Nice. That's cool. Um, so that's my my Venus reaction project thing. Um but yeah, I had I had it going through a few things, but the the main chunky rhythm sound that you hear in the verses is going through a 5150, so. Very cool. Mark, what about you obviously being in North America a little bit closer to where all the action was happening? How did you discover the band? Uh, actually, I discovered them kind of by chance because I was going with one of my friends 
to the corner store where we go and grab our, you know, comics or magazines or whatever we like to get. And uh, heard this guy had he had his 1977 Firebird, I think it was, T-top, and something was blaring full blast out of his car. And I was like, what the hell is that? All I heard was all this like noodling. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then all of a sudden this loud like this dive bomb out of nowhere. And like, what the heck is that? And then they started with, you really got me. I was like, oh, I didn't recognize that song. And then I finally went back home later and I told my sister, the the infamous older sister, uh, I told her about this music that I heard out in the parking lot by the store and she's like oh you're talking about van halen they go van who i had no idea who it was back then i was pretty young and she goes yeah van halen she goes i have the record in my room so i went and looked for it and uh took it out and was absolutely like jaw on the floor by the time i was done side one i was like what the hell is this because first of all i was listening to it on headphones and the very idea of hearing just him on one side and the bass on the other side threw me for a loop right away i was like what the hell's going i thought there was something wrong with the headphones you know when i was listening to that but then my sister no no that's how it is you know and i'm telling you his guitar playing was just otherworldly at that point you know because i I'd never heard somebody who did so much you know phaser work with his guitar like he always threw a phaser on every did a solo and a lot of whammy bar stuff like much more adventurous whammy bar stuff than stuff i had heard before you know and like that the the right-handed tapping was the thing that really threw me for a loop i'm like whoa like what is going on here and it was in every single solo he was doing back then you know i mean the only thing that kind of i was familiar with at that time is when he did that toggle switch thing a la ace freely that did 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 and you really got me because i was you know, obviously realizing that he was influenced at least at least a little bit by Kiss at that point, because when I heard that, it was a clear Ace really tribute there. But his his playing was just like another level of guitar playing, and it really made me sit down and focus on my guitar playing a hell of a lot more. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about maybe Kiss that obviously comes into the conversation is you go back to some early bootlegs, uh, live performances. There is you know, copies of Van Halen performing both rock and roll all night and all the way. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's a deep cut for them to have been, you know, doing back in 76, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what I think that recording was from. So, but you know, how much influence there was certainly some, but it was those guitar techniques and ever, and just the flashness of the band. I don't remember when I got into them or how I got into them. I'm thinking it was diver down. Um, because I remember having that cassette very early on after lifting it out of someone's car who'd left the window open. Um, but also being of the MTV generation and of that age, you know, 13, 14, when videos were really becoming big, you know, I'd really gotten into Def Leppard and Quiet Ride and Twisted Sister, and I remember Hot for Teacher um, and I think Jump, was out by then you know and, and those videos being in rotation and it, it was impossible especially hearing stuff like panama or hot for teacher and the intros and the guitar work and just the pyrotechnics of all of that material that he was a guitarist that was several steps above uh, above all those other guys even by that point when you had some of the guitar heroes like jakey lee's george lynch's um, Warren D. Randy Martini, Rhodes. 
Well, yeah, Randy, I, I missed the ran- Randy completely because I wasn't. In, I was listening to John Lennon when Randy was alive. You know, oh. I had I hadn't made and Men at Work. I hadn't made the move into hard rock at that hmm. point. So, um, you know, Duran Duran was my was my music, and until about eighty two, um, with with the Beatles stuff. So I I never experienced Randy when he he was alive. So he he oh. doesn't get to be on that same level for me. Just because I, I, he wasn't. There weren't MTV videos in rotation with him really in them, where you had these other guys posturing, but none of those guys, you know, kind of brought all of these techniques together. And I, I think you mentioned that you know he would do a lot of the same stuff in solos. To me, that was all new, um, and just all those techniques thrown into one kind of kitchen sink was, mm-hmm. uh, you know impressive is still impressive i'm glad in some ways that i've revisited so much of the catalog during the past week um i went heavily back into the van hager era actually um Mm -hmm. because that was an era that i neglected as a fan because i didn't like sammy hagar particularly um i didn't like his voice i still don't particularly like his voice in van halen i I think i've said it uh, a few times that i I think he sounds like Chris Rock as the zebra in Madagascar and just <laughs> annoys me. And, you know, I, I kind of started dropping off as a, a Van Halen fan when he came into the band. My first ever concert was, of course, David Lee Roth. So that kind of yeah. shows the direction where I went. And I remember that they broadcast the New Haven show in 1986 on uh, on radio and I remember sitting up waiting for it to come on and then, you know, pressing record on my cassette deck, my little single speaker tape player and going to sleep, um, waking up the next day and it had recorded and starting to play it, getting through a couple of songs. First one was a Sammy Hagar song, which I didn't know at the time, um, and then into other stuff. And I was like, what is this garbage? I ended up taping over it. I just <laughs> did not like it at all. I did later get OU812, which... Uh, I do actually like, but uh, I'm going to focus this conversation today on album by album. We're going to stick to David Lee Roth. We'll talk a little bit about Sammy Hagar and that era, but, you know, focus on the Van Halen that people um, do most kind of resonate with. Oh, also, one of my first ever bootlegs was actually a Van Halen one because I went down to our tape shop and they had uh, Ozzy and they had a Van Halen one from uh, the Fair Warning Tour, so... Mark, let's start with uh, the first album, Van Halen, one, 1978. And uh, your thoughts about the album, your um, favorite songs from it as well. We're not going to do any least favorites because we're celebrating Eddie. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, this this to me is kind of like a holy Bible kind of recording for me because um, when I first got it, like I said, it was such a such a huge impact on me. It was unbelievable how much it, it affected my guitar playing from then. I mean, even my friends were starting to tell me like, you're starting to put tapping in every single solo you're trying to do now. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just, it just rubbed off on me so much that, you know, I couldn't really help it. I mean, I mean that, that opening of, you know, running with the devil eruption, you really got me. I mean, right there, that's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta look for oxygen after that. Like it's such a hard hitting, threesome after that and then you know ain't talking about love and i'm the one actually i'm the one is one of my favorite songs off that record easily that 
and I've always really liked Atomic Punk. I always that was one of the songs that for for the longest time, as a guitar player, I was always like, "What the hell is he doing at the beginning of that part?" You know. And then finally, it kind of dawned on me one time when I had my old I don't know how many guitar players have to remember this. There was this unit called a Boss ME5. It was a little unit about this big. And it had like the built-in boss effects, like the flanger, compressor, digital delay, and reverb all in it. And I remember one time I accidentally hit the flanger setting on there. And I was talking to somebody and I had my hand on the guitar and my hand rubbed up against the strings. And all of a sudden it did that. I was like, oh, wait a minute, what the hell is that? And then it dawned on me that he's just rubbing his hand on the strings and making that noise. But he needs, but he was using a phaser, the phase 90, right? So... It was things like that that I all I'll always cherish this album for, like just discovering little techniques here and there. His harmonics that he would do, you know, harmonic dive bombs where he would just dive it out and slack the string and then hit a harmonic and bring the bar back up to get this really high pitched like woo note coming back up the other way. <clears throat> it was it was all those things that this album totally uh, influenced me with. And I mean, I I even said it a hundred times before that. I love this album so much that I actually shelled out over 200 bucks to get the test pressing of this record. And it's, that is my that is my cherished holy grail vinyl that I have in my collection. Nice. That's very very nice. I'm curious about one thing as a guitarist. How much did uh, you know Eddie's tone kind of mean to you because when we go back and listen to, you know, the zero demos, the stuff that Gene Simmons um, produced and recorded, he had a quantum leap between there and actually recording the album and the, de- and the demo sessions that he did with Ted Templeman, where he completely, I mean, his homemade Frankenstein guitar was one thing. You know, talk a little, uh, David, I'll go to you after Mark, you know, about, you know, the guitar sounds and uh, kind of their impact on you. Well, I mean, that's the one thing I've always admired about Eddie is that even from to this record here, number one, to this record here, there was a noticeable shift in his guitar tone. I mean, he never had that same guitar sound that he had on Van Halen 1 again. You know, that one was very uh, more preamp, like tube preamp tube uh, distortion on there. And it was really like more fuzzier and up, up front more. And it was really like, wow, like it was a, it was a lead guitar player's dream, that tone. Whereas on that one, Van Halen 2, he seemed to have like backed off on the distortion a bit, and he was more of the preamp, uh, more of the two uh, power amp tube stuff for the distortion, and it was more fatter and more a little bit more rounder and a bit more warmer. I mean, and he kind of needed that for songs like you know, Dance the Night Away. You don't want to have it such a, you know, you don't want too buzzy a sound when you're playing that kind of a song, right? So uh, I, I definitely found that his tone changed from record to record to record, and the thing that always shocked me about his sound was that he'd never used a distortion pedal. Like that to me was like, what? Like he, he never used a distortion pedal. And that to me was a, one of the biggest revelations that I learned about Edward Van Halen is that to him it was like, there's no point in using a distortion pedal. You need a good amp and a good guitar. And you need to have, you know, the hands to know how to do what you're doing, right? And when you have that, you'll get the sound and you'll get your sound, you know what I mean? And I've always admired him for that. And I've always believed in that because... For me, I went down that road very late in my career where I where I st- stopped using outboard distortion pedals 
unless it was for something specific, right? But for rhythm playing, I tried to go nothing but just heads, you know, tube heads, and that's it. And, you know, sometimes you needed to, those old ones, you needed to, to crank it to like ear bleeding levels. But luckily now you can have other amps where you can buy like, you know, five watt tube amps and you can crank those and it's not going to kill everybody, right? So, but it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I really admired about him is that he was constantly, constantly experimenting. He never was one of those guys who just got his sound and sat with it for 20 years. There was always little adjustments here and there. Like, look how late in his career he introduced the wah pedal into his lead playing. It was not until at least, like, for unlawful carnal knowledge, that I heard a wah pedal in a Van Halen song. You know what I mean? And most guitar players, you, they bring in everything in the kitchen sink on record one. He never did that. He started doing things later. He brought in the Eventide Ultra Harmonizer later on into this into his sound and all kinds of things. He changed amps in the Saldano. He left the Marsh. Like I could go on and on, but I want to hear David's opinion on this too. So I'll shut up. Yeah, there's a pretty punky thoughts on that first album. Plug in and play, David. Your thoughts on the first album? Well, you know. The, I could I could probably do a very long TikTok video where I just mimed to everything Mark just said. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, and that, and that. Which is, you know, that the, it's, well, you know, running with the devil, erupt, and then eruption. I'd never, it's a bit, you know, I don't, I don't know whether I've heard a studio guitar solo on a record before. You know, where it's just like that, that one is a guitar solo. You know, maybe I'm mm. missing out. I don't know. But that's the first time it was like, and this track is called this, and it's just this guy doing awesome stuff. But, um, but yeah, it, there's so many techniques in there that, that I just copied from watching that Us Festival thing and then finding out a bit more about Van Halen. Because like Julian said, you know, we were going to do a different episode, which uh, we'll, we'll do at some other point. And uh, we wanted to get together again. And I'm that sort of... There's so many people who were upset to hear that Van, yeah, Eddie Van Halen had died. And I think one of the reasons it was so far reaching is there's there's people like yourselves who know pretty much every track off every album. And I've got every album, don't get me wrong. But I know the first one back to front and it goes a bit podgy in the middle, but I still got them. And I just like listening to Van Halen. Do you know what I mean? I like mm. uh, watching. I've lost count of the amount of times I've watched that U.S. Uh, that us festival sorry the us festival 83 and and then you know the dvds that came out with with hagar on and stuff because i don't mind the voice and um but uh you know it's it's one of those things where it's not like kiss or the pistols or something like that i can't tell you who particularly who engineered the b-side of their japanese only seven inch or whatever do you know what i mean um so my favourites when I got running with the devil, what a what a kickstarter, and then eruption. As I said, I learned how to. I asked a friend of mine, "How's he doing that thing with it?" Even though I'd seen the videos and stuff, I couldn't quite. And then I, then the finger comes over, and it is just that because I was a drummer at the time, I knew what triplets were, where you just go huggle 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 at the end of a song to make it sound cool. And so all you're doing is triplets with your fingers, aren't you, Mark? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, Paul Stanley does it really well in, in the Animalized live video where he does his little talky <laughs> bit and he goes, and so it's just triplets there. And then, and things like moving the pick so that it's scraping the string rather than striking the string. And you get all sorts of harmonics and crazy. And if your amp's really loud, it shouts at you, you know. 
Um, and all the touch harmonics as well, finding out on each string where all the sort of things and knowing that if you dive bomb a string and then touch your finger as it's coming back up, it'll scream, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. I mean, it was just such a, I went from Steve Jones and sort of Robert Smith to that, you know, and suddenly it did open up a world of just of, of getting really back into rock music again that was you know it was something that i thought right i like the goth stuff that came out of the punk thing you know because i still liked it dark and heavy and all that sort of stuff but it was watching that us festival i'd never seen literally never seen anything like it or heard anything it it was a brand new sound it really was you know and yes there were guitarists like say alan holdsworth or whatever Mm -hmm. that that had done tapping and stuff like that but not not taking the ball and run with it like that guy did, you know. And I'll just give you a little quick story before um, in there. You, you know, do uh, either of you know who James Stevenson is from Gene Loves Jezebel? And I've heard Mark- of the band, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and basically he was the guitarist in Glenn Matlock's band when I, when I was drumming in it. And um, he was asked, because he collects guitars and he has a guitar shop in London. And um, he was asked to uh what was it what in work out the costs of them for insurance purposes okay mm-hmm. um his van halen's guitars right and he told me this on the on the, on the plane back from a, a tour and he said um you know a lot of them were were quite easy and what have you and then he handed me the um the one that's behind julian what's the name of it again what do they call it the frankenstein yeah the frankenstein yeah and and james just said no no i'm not putting a price on this there's no way there's it's just impossible and I think I think that for a musician you know rather than a singer like something of Elvis's or whatever for his main thing to be uninsurable it's probably on the level of Brian May's home guitar homemade guitar from Queen you know you couldn't how would you insure that how would you so I think to sum up my feelings that's he really was a genuine one-off and yeah. um, and he taught everyone that watched him about five different things they never knew when they saw him for the first time and heard that sound and noise. So, yeah, everything that Mark said and then just everything I just said. You know, the funny thing that what, what you just said there about it being uninsurable, that guitar. I, I remember I just watched a video not long ago where Eddie Van Halen was talking about that guitar. And the way he describes it, he said, he goes, you know, lots of people hold this guitar in great esteem, but if you would know what went behind it to make this guitar, I don't think people would hold it in such high regard. I mean, he goes, it's a $90 body, $110 neck. And he goes, and if you look at it, there's a toggle switch that's like buried in where the opening is in the guitar where the single coil is supposed to go yeah and most people looked at the guitar and goes wow is that some kind of secret connection thing and he'd always be like yeah yeah and he and he goes but there was nothing it was it was disconnected it was just there because he didn't know how to connect it you know yeah, what i mean yeah. he goes a lot of the things on that guitar are total experiments you know you know he, he has cigarette burns all over it you know yeah. wiring is screwed up on there you know he has he has the pickup wired straight to the volume pod which is nobody really did often at that time you know what i mean it's yeah. it's just you know whatever worked for him and then all of a sudden everybody wanted that sound and he always found that kind of puzzling because he thought why shouldn't anybody shouldn't everybody else want their own sound you know yeah true there is that but i mean that but you know it, it doesn't matter what the, the the price of the guitar really is. Obviously, you know what you're looking at is not what it is, but what it's done. Yeah, and that, that's that's what it is, and, and what so. it did in the hands of one person. Because obviously, yeah. you hand a guitar to two different guitarists, 
They can yeah. do very different things with it just from their feel and their touch and their approach and their playing. I think Absolutely. what I, impresses me about him is that he created his own sound. You know, mm. a musician should know their instrument. I don't know whether they need to know it to the level that Eddie did with his, his Frankensteining, but it certainly worked for him to define it. Because even mm. going back to 74, 73, and Mammoth and all that, you didn't get that guitar sound until, what was it, late 76, early 77. That didn't just, that wasn't part of his DNA. He was a player before he had the sound. The sound that comes through off this first album in particular, um, that it's his signature, came very late in the game after he had been discovered because of his playing and the songs. So mm -hmm. I, I think I think it's not just about him as a player. It's about, you know, him as a writer and, you know, as a musician. And then the added bonus is obviously the sound, which is very distinctive. Yeah. And there are very few bands. I mean, in, in England, I think it was very noticeable in the late 70s that, you know, the big corporate rock bands had got fallen by. Punk was big. But there were a couple of bands that did remain respected. ACDC is a very yeah. good example of kind mm -hmm. of having... I, I don't like using the phrase punk ethos, but it really no. it does somewhat work that they, they weren't pretentious in their presentation. Yeah. They got up on the stage and they played. They plugged yeah. in and played. They didn't use a lot of accoutrements or f fluffing uh, to yeah. get across their musical message. And that, if anything, does hearken a little bit to the punk ethos of yeah. keeping it simple and not being a prat. But again, yeah. with, with, with Eddie Van Halen, though, it's the light and shade and stuff that he was able to do, like, you know, picking style and all sorts of stuff. I mean, Ice Cream Man from the first album. It, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. And it's such a surprise when it just comes roaring in like that, you know. It's, uh, yeah, he really was. It's a real shame he's gone. It really is. That first album, though, for me, I mean, first track is mm. what it's all about. And, you know, and then in terms of favorites, I'm not, you know, I'm not being able to appreciate eruption more say than as someone with jaw agape you know looking at oh. someone oh my god they can actually play that it, it's incredible i've you know i've never tried to play any of it it's like nah. you, just, you, you just don't do that to me uh anyway um, not without not with anyone in the same room that's for sure yeah and and then i think my 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 kind of favorite it's going to be ain't talking about love you know yeah. which, which just you know there's so much good stuff on that first album i was and gonna I, say i was gonna say i can put the needle on side a flip it over and and go to the end of it you know it's it's one of those albums it's it's yeah. it's, it all, it's timeless it's got one of the very best lead off tracks on any album throughout hard rock history i think uh it, it's kind of funny in some ways that another one of the perfect lead-off tracks is on montrose's 1973 album uh you know rock the nation there are very few bands that just come out with first song first side boom punch you in the face um and just get you there's a great interview up on youtube uh, it's the smithsonian's national museum of american history and public square uh interview with eddie van halen by denise kwan he is so humble throughout this interview and he does pick up his guitar and give some techniques and one of the things that he he does say and makes very clear is that he didn't 
invent any of the techniques, and that's what I think is so mm. wonderful about him. He doesn't try and take credit. Yeah, he, later on he invented that little pop-up stand for his guitar so that he could do two-handed, <laughs> you know, picking and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But he's very clear that he just took things that people were already doing and just reorganized them yeah. into his playing. And, you know, that, that really does sum up. I've watched so many interviews with him over the last week as well. And in all of them, he's humble. You know, and also a little bit shy, I think, which is is not shocking. We're not going to dig into Minutia about any of these album songs or anything today. If you want Minutia, I do want to recommend a couple of books. One is The Mighty Van Halen Rising, and I'll try and add the cover back in on that, uh, by Greg Renoff, which is the foundation and formation of the band Out of the Backyards. He did an article in today's LA Times, which was really, really good as well, uh, but, you know, rehashes, uh, condenses. Uh, more of what's in the book. And Ted, of course, did then, or Greg, did then write Ted Templeman's book with him. So if you want Minutia, strongly recommend both of those. Let's move on can to I, Van... Oh, I was going to say, can I recommend a book? Yeah, do. The uh, the Noel Monk book. Oh, um, hell, he was, the first uh, man- he was the first manager. I've got it yeah, over there as yeah. well. And because he, not not long before he did that, I think the the band before the the job he had was the infamous Sex Pistols 1978 vinyl tour, mm-hmm. um, ending in Winterland, San Francisco, Julian. Uh, now Winterland Apartment, sadly. Um, but uh, but yeah, he was the Sex Pistols tour manager, um, and then he became Van Halen's tour manager, and then I think manager because he'd done such a good job. But um, if you're lazy like me, go to YouTube. The whole thing is on audiobook there, and it's quite yeah. it's quite good listening to the guy. That, I always prefer audiobooks if they're read by the guy that wrote them or the woman that wrote them. And uh, Debbie Harry's one is good, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But um, I, I wouldn't mind getting a, a sort of hard copy in my collection, to be honest, because it was really good. And I, it's obviously on YouTube. It's about six hours long, and that's a lot of tidying your bedroom. Yeah, and uh, but, uh, I'm embarrassed to have forgotten that because I do have it. I did read it, and it was absolutely brilliant. Again, uh, you, you, between these three books, you you really get you get the producer, you get the manager, and yeah. you get a, someone who isn't just a fan, but someone who mm. can actually write a story, uh, writing yeah. the narrative of the band's foundation. So you know, even all these years on, Greg's work still impresses me. Uh, let's go, he- move on. Sorry, I was just going to say he was always doing. He was always tour managing Warner Brother artists, wasn't he? So that's I imagine that's the connection. Yeah, that Sex Pistols connection though that is absolutely hilarious. Um, Van Halen two. We did an episode on I think uh, the one first two. two. Va- yeah, one yeah. and two. So uh, Mark, why don't you lead us off with your thoughts about Van Halen two? <laughs> well, again, I, uh, from a guitar player perspective, it was a little bit of another eye opener. Uh, when I first got this album, I wasn't as hard hit by it at first because it probably has the worst opening song on an album in You're No Good. I, I thought that was such a dull song to open an album with. It was just, what is this bass thing going on at the beginning? It was like just unimpressive to me compared to like how Running With The Devil started and that whole side. But there are some songs on here that are, you know good there's some good songs i always kind of looked at this album as you know some people say the brother and the sister record i don't look at it as the brother and sister album i kind of look at it almost as like you know van halen one was you know 
that old cliche of, you know, you know, you have 20 years to make your first record and, you know, five months to make your second one is very apparent in this one because it just seems like an attempt at Van Halen one, but much more not as good as the first one, you know, I mean, you know, somebody gave me a doctor is good and, you know, uh, uh, beautiful girls is a good song and stuff like that. Or DOA is an awesome song. But I mean, you know, then you have Spanish Fly, which is clearly like another attempt at doing an interruption, but on a classical guitar, right? And you know, I I, I like it. I, there there isn't a Van Halen album that I don't like, but clearly to me, the it didn't have the same impact to me as Van Halen One did. But again, the the guitar playing is fantastic in this album. Whereas on the first album, he did a lot of like not like like the harmonics on the fretboard. On this one, he did a lot more of the kind of natural tapped out harmonics on the, that he would tap on the board a lot more on this. And, uh, you know, he wasn't as whammy bar happy on this. I mean, he'd used it quite a lot on here too, but I just found in the first record, he was a little bit more overboard on some of the techniques that he had. But, you know, it, it's good. It's it's a good album. Uh, it You know, it has Dance the Night Away, which is probably one of their bigger songs at that time as well, right? So you got, you got to have to kind of look at that record uh, and give it props for that as well. But it, it I, I, I don't want to talk negatively about it because we're supposed to be celebrating Eddie and I, and I think he didn't do anything wrong per se on this record. I just think it was a matter of they didn't have as maybe as much time because they were so popular at the time. I'm pretty sure they had Mr. Record Label guy going, hurry up guys, we got to get you back out on the road again. So, you know, make that record, get it out there, you know? So I think there was a little bit of that happening and maybe that's why this record was the way that it is. Yeah, I think you nailed it. They came off the road, went into the studio, so didn't have as much time. Um, I didn't have this in my CD collection for many, many years. I'd had it on cassette in the 1980s, and it was just one of those. But I was always stunned that Dance the Night Away is not a cover. That they were, that they didn't just replicate Van Halen 1 and go for, well, that sold 2 million copies by the end of that first year and just do the same thing again that they were brave enough to do a Spanish guitar solo to, you know, use some of the songs that hadn't been recorded uh, for the first time, which we didn't know at the time, obviously, and I didn't know for many years. Um, and to lead off with You're No Good and Dance the Night Away. So they, they broke out of that mold and, and weren't afraid. My favorite on this is Somebody Get Me a Doctor. It's not surprising, mm -hmm. probably, that it's the first rock, really kind of rocking song off the album um, on that first side. But Dance the Night Away is kind of undeniable. I mean, that's, you know, kind of makes me smile. David? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm kind of with you on, on, on there. Dance the Night Away would be my favorite track. Uh, and, and it's funny you should say about it not, you know, not being a cover. I did, I wondered whether it was like a song like You Really Got Me, but I hadn't heard it, you know, because um, it seemed quite out of sorts but i liked it you know because ice cream man is out of sorts with general things you know I, I didn't know where they were going with it anyway um because you know you got the first album which really does stand alone it's it's uh it's a hard one to put anything against i think um just in in my humble opinion but i do like dance night away and somebody get me a doctor but i like doa as well so we're all on the sort of same ticket and i don't think it's 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 not i can still probably just pop it on and have it going there's not a skip track for me personally um but uh those would be my my three favorites and uh you know being in england it was still you were still having, having to hunt these things down a little bit really 
Um, you know, it wasn't they they weren't all over the radio for sure. That that happened with one of the other albums we we're going to discuss. So, uh, yeah, Britain's not always uh, on the quickest of uptakes when it comes to importing American bands. No, uh, no. Better at originating in many cases. Yeah. Mm. So you know, again, it's it's a good album, and they set the bar so bloody high with that debut. Where do you go from there? Usually, it, there's only one direction because you're not yeah. even going to plateau. But I think uh, being objective and critical about it, that they managed to at least plateau the mm-hmm. album. All right, let's move on. 1980, which yeah. means women, women and, and children. children first. David, I'm going to start with you for that one. Um, I think it's a great kickoff song, and the, and the Cradle Will Rock. No? How are you? <laughs> I love it. I think it's really good. I, I, again, it's it's. Uh, I just I, I love. I suppose because me and Mark are both kind of producers. Well, we are producers. Sorry, I don't know why I said kind of. We are producers. Um, but I always think about track listing. The one you kick off on, and the last one on side one that makes them turn over, and then the first thing to hit them on side two. I always think vinyl whenever I'm producing stuff, and I really like. I really like the way this goes. I think the track listing is good on this. But I have to say, it isn't. Looking at it now because I've, I've written down um, the tracks. And there are some I can't, I can't remember. Romeo's Delight, how's that go? I can't remember how that goes. That's not, not saying, isn't that with that 12-string guitar thing? <laughs> isn't that with that 12-string guitar bit at the beginning? I think yeah. that's Romeo's Delight. But that's, that's where I'm saying I'm a little bit squidgy uh, when we get into the middle section, mm. uh, because it, it's kind of like, I've played the first one so much. But I tend to, I love watching them live. That's that's where I'm coming unstuck on the studio stuff is because it's just watching the guy as well as listening. And like I say, they're you know they're not up there for me with sort of Kiss and and stuff like that. But they're that that's why, like I say, I think that's why he's so popular because everyone, if they listened, would like something about Van, you know, Eddie Van Halen. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because uh, when I first, one thing I'm going to talk about really quickly about this album is that again, I think there was a market, marketably noticeable change again in his guitar sound, and and, and quite a change uh, as far as style I found on this album. Very much more bluesy on this record. I mean, you have songs like you know "Take Your Whiskey Home" and songs like that where there's a lot more you know, that down home blues thing going on which was not apparent on the first two records at all mm. you know when you listen to i mean i remember when i got this this is one one of those records where you have like two oh, uh, two yeah. albums on one kind of thing yeah and i remember when i first listened to it you know the cradle will rock was great and again it was one of those songs where at first i was like that intro that's not a guitar is it and i was listening to it and then years later you figure out it's just a Wurlitzer piano mm. through a distorted amp you know what i mean so uh, but you know, th- th- this the first side of this record, I always thought was Van Halen turned up to ten. It's one of the one of these records where side A it just knocks you on your rear end. I mean, everybody wants some like that. To me, is one of the best Van Halen songs they ever wrote. Like that whole intro and the way it kicks in with the guitar and everything is just unbelievable. And from a, what I've always found fascinating about this, I don't know, David, if you agree with this or not, but I found that this album is interesting from an engineering point because if you listen to it very closely there's a lot of sort of you know tape distortion that happened 
little yeah. bit of the, the needles going into the red a little bit. You can hear it kind of breaking up in spots. There's there's visible errors that were left in on this, yeah. not only vocally but guitar playing wise. You know, and like and and on side B, it seems very much like they they said, okay, side A we're gonna do all the kick ass, you know, rip their heads off music, and side B we're gonna kind of tone it down a bit. You know, loss of control is a little bit of a odd song, loss of control, loss of control, loss of that all kind of stuff. And then you have like take your whiskey home, and then and then could this be magic again? Another you know bottleneck slide thing on acoustic guitar and just really simple kind of more bluesy sit on the porch kind of music, and then. Mm-hmm. I was cor- incorrect about one thing. Uh, the song with the 12 string guitar is in a simple rhyme, which ends this uh, album on it. So uh, Romeo's Delight is what they opened their reunion tour with David Lee Roth with. I'm trying to remember how that even goes. There was a, they opened with that for quite a bit. Uh, but it, it, I think this album is, a, is an album of two ideas. Kick-ass, hard-hitting, rip-your-head-off side A, and kind of, you know, let's just put the guitars down or pick up a couple of acoustic guitars and play some kind of more bluesier kind of influenced music on side B. Mm. I think that's one of the things I like about this album the most is there are so many more guitar textures throughout it and also uh, yeah. and stylistic. You know, Eddie's almost saying, I'm not just eruption. I'm not just this or that. Here's a whole mm-hmm. buffet of different things. And while I love the more hard rocking stuff, I do like some of the more experimental. Loss of Control is one of my favorites on this. It's just, it's different. It's unique. I mean, this this album when I first got it just stayed in rotation um, perpetually. There was just something very endearing about all the stuff. Even if, like you, I can't. I'm not deep enough as a Van Halen fan to immediately be able to hear the melody of Romeo's Delight. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not. We're not claiming to be. We're just talking about these albums as fans of the music. Uh, mm-hmm. But kind of the, the guitar sound on Cradle, kind of mm-hmm. again, it's he's evolving, not doing the same thing over and yeah. over, adding yeah. new things to it. Um, so Cradle and Loss of Control, but there could it be? Ma- could this be magic? What a great song! Yeah. What? What a fantastically crafted bit of music and lyric as well. So, fantastic stuff. All right, let's move on to my favorite Van Halen album. This is the one for me. Fair warning. Funnily enough. David, you're holding up an LP. You get to start. Why don't we have you start on this one? I was actually playing it today. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, again, I, I think it's just one of those that I could, I could just put on side A and when it, you know, and go through to side B. It's, uh, it just doesn't have any dips for me. And, uh, another Ted Templeman production, of course. <laughs> and, uh, so like Push Comes to Shove is a good one. Um, Dirty Movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Actually, the the way it ends, actually, one foot out the door, that's pretty cool. I'm just having a look to see if this is any any sort of um, this is this is the English pressing, I believe. Yeah, Broadwick Street, London. Mm. So you know they were. It didn't take until, like I say, one of the one of the other albums for you to actually get Van Halen because this is an original. You can see it is. It's a bit. It's a bit knackered. Do you know that word? Look at the spine yeah. on that. I've seen some action. 
But uh, so yeah, again, it, it's really difficult on some some of these things to be, um, you know, to to actually to actually think about if there's anything I didn't like about it. But I I just I love this album. I just think it's fantastic. Again, it's a start to finish one for me. I, it's one that I would recommend after Van Halen one. Oh, if somebody, yeah. wanted, to get, if somebody wanted to get into the band, you know. Yeah, it's it's in some ways it's an analog of that first album. It's got the same sort of guitar tones again coming back. So, mm. but it is different enough, especially with the development of the techniques. Think of some of those things he was mm. doing: the harmonic yeah. hammer-ons mm. and just insane guitar work. I love this album because it really is a little bit more traditional in that it's got an A side and a B side that both kick off with very, very strong songs. Mm -hmm. And Unchained is, I think, my all-time favorite Van Halen song. It is the only Van Halen song I have ever tried to play on guitar and look up the different component parts of it to figure out kind of how that tabulator thought Eddie was playing them which is often completely wrong from how the guitarist is playing them and oh, it, it, it's just an absolutely insane album in terms of its guitars I, I think it's a high point in many ways that it, he is now fully evolved in that style here you have his, you know, the birth on the first album this is the fully realized version of that guitar playing and those techniques with very, very well-crafted songs and incredible, you know, just perfect uh, production. So recapturing that, everything that made the first album special, it, I find is recaptured here. This was the album I reached for when I heard of his passing. It is the album I am most likely to play if I am found playing a Van Halen album which with mm -hmm. all the other music going on in my life is not as often as it should be. Mark. Well, this album really reconnected me with them because I remember when I first heard this record, you know, having heard women and children first and that I was like, okay, this is, this is good. But, you know, being a kind of, you know, young guy at the time, you know, the kind of bluesy stuff was kind of little like eye rolling at the time. I didn't have the full appreciation of it that I do now. Right. But back then, you know, I was all about the screaming guitars and the Marshalls turned to 10. So when this album came out, I was like, what the hell is this? Because that fade in on Main Street, I think he's, think he's doing at the beginning. I was like, what the hell is that? I was like, wow, this is really cool. And that riff. I was so simple, but so cool sounding. I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And again, his guitar tone changed a little bit from Women and Children first, but again, it was more squishy and marshmallowy. It was a little bit more like compressed a bit, but it was, sounded so good. It didn't sound buzzy at all, or or you know, be in a jar kind of sound or anything like that. You know, it, it's really fantastically full guitar sound. And I mean, one of the things that people seem to forget is Michael Anthony never had a very big present bass sound on all these albums, so it kind of helped that Eddie went for a very, very large guitar sound because you could only get away with that kind of a sound when you have, you know, a band where it's just you, a bass player and a drummer. If you have oh. another guitar player and you got to start now sculpting because you don't want to step all over each other when you're playing. Right. Yeah. And especially if you have a keyboard player then man, then you got to really start sculpting out your guitar. Right. Cause a keyboard takes up so much space in a sound. Right. Oh. But you know, this album is just 
fantastic. I mean, one of the songs that immediately took me, and you might be surprised with this, is Hear About It Later. When I first heard that, that thing at the beginning with that really cool phaser that he throws onto it, I was like, wow, it sounds so good on headphones. When you listen to that part, I was like, I was again, it was one of those records where after I heard it, I immediately ran to my copy Les Paul that I had back when I was younger and grabbed it and, you know, started noodling with the record. Like, how does he play that? You know, and and Unchained. I mean, come on. Drop D. Actually, it would be drop D flat for them. Uh, but it was such a great riff. And what's always tricky about it, what people always have trouble with, and there's a great video online on YouTube with this, is that nobody can ever play it exactly like Edward does because they don't do what Edward does, which is he plays the riff and he kicks in and out that flanger. And he kicks it back in. You always see him kicking it in and out while he's playing the riff. Nobody does that when you see them play it in cover bands. They just either turn the flanger on, leave it on during the whole thing, or just don't use it at all. And then both ways it sounds wrong, right? So it's it's all those little things that I love about Eddie that he does all these little techniques and little things that make the sound what it is on the album. And then, you know, right in the middle of side two, you have, so this is love another great song. I've always loved that. And, and again, for all you mixing people in audiophile, put your headphones on and listen to that. The bass is right here in the middle. And it starts to do, 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 do. And all of a sudden it starts going into your ear over here. They're like, what the hell? What the hell just happened there? Mm. And because they're panning it, because they're going back to that traditional Van Halen panning, right? Eddie on the right and Michael on the left, right? So I love it. But the thing that was the biggest shocker for me on this record was a Sunday afternoon in the park. That whole thing was like, whoa, what the hell is this? Like, it, it was the first real introduction of a keyboard for a Van Halen album. And that's where you start going, hmm. What, what what am I going to hear on the next record if I hear this now? Because usually at the end of a record, when you start throwing on songs like that, sometimes it's a, like like a little like, hey, wait till our next record comes out. You know, wait till you hear what we have in store. But, you know, One Foot Out the Door is one of those really, really quick rocking songs out the door there. And it's a, it's a good way to end the record. But I always thought that Sunday Afternoon in the Park was a a, a very secret message to Van Halen fans like, don't worry, there's more keyboards to come. I didn't catch that at all, I must say. I know that that never occurred to me. That no, you know, nah, that's weird. I see what you mean now, but uh, like like I say, it's uh, uh, it never it never struck me as odd that there was suddenly a you know keyboard on a Van Halen track because it wasn't like like Queen always used to put on the back of their albums no synthesizers until the game. <laughs> And then uh, they said this, this show, this this album contains the first use of a synthesizer, you know. So they they weren't sort of saying it. So I was just, all oh, right, okay, you know. But of course, yeah, I, I I don't know. We're not being a fan at the time, so I've got no perspective on that. I think I think uh, it, again when you go back and look at these albums sequentially, you know, forty nearly forty years on, then it's kind of easy to look at them and say, well, they they're developing. Here come the keyboards. They're foreshadowing, you know. At the time, who knows? You know, maybe other was considered. Let's move on into Diver Down, 1982. Again, what I think is my first album uh, with Van Halen. It takes a lot of stick for having five covers on it, and you know what? I don't care. 
because it's got intruder on it. Mm-hmm. Which is when we start talking about like loops and just studio creations and oh. fun stuff, that and Pretty Woman are just so perfectly symbiotic. I yeah. could play those over and over and over. And there's just something magical about Intruder for me. And it's not to say that there isn't other great songs, because I think their version of Dancing in the Street is insane. I always yeah. loved Big Bad Bill. Always loved mm. it. But that's quirky, like was on the first album with Ice Cream Man. But yeah. in, ter- in terms of, uh, you know, guitars, there's not a lot that really kind of stands out to me guitar-wise throughout the album. Yeah, you got little guitars uh, intro. You've got Hang em High, which has kind of, you're, you're in the full bug, which are more, you know, your traditional rocking stuff. But it's a little bit less, and I know the circumstances of this album dictated that there wasn't going to be as much origination. But when you look at what he did guitar-wise for the covers, Pretty Woman turned into, you know, a rock cover. Yeah, mm. I'll, t- I'll take it. And what a great way to end it out. Happy Trails, which I think they did back in the 70s as well. And they did live at US at the US Festival. I keep calling it the US Festival, sorry. <laughs> US Festival, sorry. Yeah, yeah Mark, d- dive her down, Mark. Yeah, this is an interesting record for me. I mean, I used to, in elementary school, uh, this is interesting, I used to have a little cassette Walkman I would bring to school and I was seated in my class in the perfect spot where the teacher had me way in her peripheral peripheral vision so she could only kind of see me when she's looking at the class so I would sit there and put my headphones on during class and I was listening to this album quite a bit (laughs) and the, the girl that used to sit beside me she always used to look at me she'd go what are you listening to I go Van Halen she goes can I hear it and I'd give it to her, pass her the headphones, and me and her would be listening to stuff. And that's how I got in shit once because she would start cracking up when Big Bad Bill came on, right? And she looked at me, she goes, This is so funny sounding when the clarinet came on. That doo 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 doo. She started cracking up. And then, of course, I got in shit and sent to the principal's office for having a cassette player and listening to music while she'd be listening. But <laughs> this album has always had a sort of love hate relationship with me because the originals on this. I love. I mean, th- this is for the world of slack this album gets. It has two monumental Edward Van Halen things in there. Cathedral, which is something that he always plays live in his solos all the time. And something that guitar players thought was absolutely incredible was that use of the chorus and that ping pong delay that he uses, where he just turns the guitar on and off. And everybody I know was like trying to figure that out. I mean, even Ingve Malmstein does it on his 1984 live in Tokyo concert that I have on VHS. He d- does that exact bit, but he does, you know, his classical version of it. Right. But uh, everybody wanted to, to learn how to play that bit and to figure that out. So that's one thing. And then of course the little guitars thing. I mean, how many, t- when did you actually expect to hear him doing a flamenco guitar thing that do, 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 do. And I know that for the longest time I had a bitch of a time learning that because of course, the geniuses at Guitar for the Practicing Musician magazine completely screwed up how he plays that. They had it that they showed the chords and then that that open string thing was right. It was just an open uh, E, high E. And then those notes, that but they had that note thing 
over like four strings on the guitar. I'm like, how the hell is he doing that? Like, he's not going from this string to this string to this string. And that's not how he does it. Because if you watch the YouTube video now that he did, like just a couple of years back, they show him playing it. He does it all just hammer-ons on one string, which makes it incredibly easier to do it that way. So, of course, thanks, Guitar for the Practicing Musician, for giving me years and years of headache over that. But uh, but the, the originals are great. I, and I have to agree, Intruder, Intruder was one of those things that was really cool to first hear. And then, you know, Pretty Woman. I mean, everybody and their brother knows that song. And of course, the funny thing was, unless you really, really, really knew it, never dawned on you that they screwed up that song and missed a pole part completely in that song that they skipped over. Uh, but, you know, I never really dawned on it until my father played the original on his stereo. I was like, oh, wait a minute, they're missing a part in their version. But, you know, Dancing in the Street, I thought was it was okay. But, you know, the, the record, I think, got better when there were songs like The Full Bug and Hang Em High. And even like, uh, you know, there was there was other songs like Where Have All the Good Times Gone was, I thought, a pretty good opener. Uh, I'm still kind of in the air whether I like that version or David Bowie's pinups version of that song. I think I might go with the Van Halen one. It's a little bit more rock. And even though I love Mick Ronson, God bless him too. Uh, but, you know, those, uh, th- those, those cover songs, for all their trouble and slack that they got, you got to remember one thing. This album did incredibly well for them, like really well. I mean, I think according to this information, it says it was 65 weeks on the chart and sold 4 million copies. That's double what Fair Warning did. So there you go. David. Um, yeah, Mick Ronson knows his way around a bit of toggle switch uh, mm-hmm. Morse code as well, you know. Yeah, um, yeah uh, <clears throat> no, I've got a when I was 13, you've got to, you got, again, timeline. <laughs> when I was 13, I thought if someone did a cover, a lot of the time I liked the cover more than I liked the original. Obviously, as I grew up and I got into prop music, you know, of course I like the Kinks version, you know, that, that's that, but, and, and things like Dancing in the Street, I was never really into Motown. I have to say it's one of my blind spots, Motown, you know, the whole sort of Supremes and stuff like that. Very good, I'm sure, but didn't really grab me. So to me, the covers of Pretty Woman, Dancing in the Street. I thought they were fantastic, absolutely fantastic, because they were rock versions of songs I didn't think were that good at the time. But obviously I grew and and became to understand, you know, came to understand um, sort of a bit more about the history of where they come from. But to me, they were sort of fresh out of the gate, and I really I really liked them. And I love Big Bad Wheel as well, because I loved Ice Cream Man. It's one of the things I've always liked about Van Halen is... I don't know whether it is a cheeky wink sort of thing, and they're just you know let's let's do something a bit left field. Whether it's really heartfelt sort of thing, uh, I don't know. But uh, Happy Trails has got to be a, a laugh, hasn't it? Hasn't it got to be? I mean, that's yeah. I, I think, you know, it's just a fun way to. And I tell you what, this album always struck me as is it could be the original soundtrack to a musical, like a stage musical for some reason. Look at the way it ends: the little guitars intro and little guitars, and then Big Bad Bill, the full bug. And then happy ending trails. with happy trails. It's almost like, you know, a musical could be made out of this album, you know. A theme uh, to a mythical Western. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. sort of thing. It, it is, it's like, you know. Um, but that, that's, again, age has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I, I really, this is, it was only a year before that we'd had The Elder. So I was kind of ripe for that. I think I might have discovered uh, The Wall, Pink Floyd, by this point as well. And so... Uh, it definitely had that sort of 
nice roller coaster ride of, of a bit of everything. So, yep. yeah, no no gripes from me for Diver Down. Cathedral and little guitars. There's yeah, a lot of guitars. All right, yeah. let's move on into well, probably. I don't know how to describe 1984 because it is one of their biggest albums along with the debut. This is just current affairs for me because I was watching the videos as they came out on MTV. I remember not being able to escape Jump. I remember being blown away and it was really kind of the first time I recognized a guitarist as a wizard. And mm. you know Panama and you know Hot for Teacher again because of the videos showing you you know little bits and pieces but the album again the those songs guitar wise are just absolutely stunning mm. um yeah I mean what what more do you say I mean you start off with like synthy intro which is is really cool 1984 um you had got a ballad on there, I'll Wait, which I think was the last single off the album. But the, his mm -hmm. playing, again, it doesn't stand still. He's always doing something else, whether it's on the fretboard or also, I guess, the keyboards. So, an absolutely stunning album to this day. Uh, it's grown on me. I mean, uh, initially I didn't like stuff like the last two songs, uh, but now it's just like, it's 1984. It's uh, kind of an exclamation to the band's career. David? Um, well, it was the first time I have... I do The one thing... I don't know why I remember this fact or why I remember feeling like this, but I do remember that the US got it released a month, a full month before England did. Um, <laughs> is it? Was it January 1984? Yeah, I so. I think so. Yeah, and I had to wait till February somewhere around the day. I just remember for some reason, I don't know, I must have seen it printed somewhere, but being, you know, quite ready for the next Van Halen album and it didn't it didn't disappoint. And again, I don't want to be boring, but it's another one that I can go right through the whole lot. However, Hot for Teacher, as well as being a guitarist, you know I'm a drummer. And what drummer doesn't doesn't remember the first time they heard the intro to Hot Hot for Teacher? Because he starts with something fairly complicated. And you think, oh, that's wow, that's pretty good sort of thing. And then he adds in like another eight hands and three feet. Um, I don't know. I can't play the beginning of that. I mean, not even with a double pedal and what have you. I mean, I know he, I know he sometimes went on stage with four kick drums, but there's no. How did he really play all four of them? Um, <laughs> I don't know how many legs he was claiming to have, but um, no, it's phenomenal drumming on Hot for Teacher. And uh, let's not forget the video. Um, very very good uh, ne never will forget the video thank you very much no, I can see it in no. my mind right now indeed yeah something the darkness copied quite later on um, but uh, yeah and jump I do here it is it's the original it's the original nice house of pain on the b-side um, but yeah Panama Panama. I always remember seeing the video to that. You know the bit where the policemen are actually dragging Dave Lee Roth, who looks mm. absolutely fried when he's got a towel around his waist. And that. Was that for real? Do we yeah. know whether that was actually for real? Was he being arrested there for something? He yeah. looks poked off his tits. Yeah. Well, from what I hear, he, he was he was busted. For, uh, yeah. what I, from what he I heard... Well. 
Well, what what I what I heard or what what I read and stuff is that he was a uh, suspicion was being with a minor girl, oh, right? God, that's not quite Yeah, but you know whether that's true. Or oh, he's been censored. Mark, Mark's been censored. Mark, Mark, you shouldn't have gone there. You just dropped yeah. out. Yeah, he's well, been he's been blacked out so yeah my my basic thoughts on the whole album is it's another start to finisher for me and it came along at the time that i was really starting to i wouldn't say i'd master the double hand technique sort of thing but i was starting to pop it into stuff of my own i've got bands i was in that i could you know i won't play you anything but i could play you something <laughs> and it's like mark said in his uh, introduction about what eddie's guitar style meant to him um about you know you do when you when you learn something like that you put it in everything and i definitely overdid it but i I think it was the guitar the guitar solo to jump was the thing where it, i mean it's it's just an extraordinary solo it's uh it's just it's 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 rhythmical it's musical it's melodic it's flashy it's still got some soul it's um yeah it's an absolute peach it's an absolute peach and so the singles off it are great and the the album tracks um are great too it's the only one i've got on cassette and i have it in my car quite i've I've still got a cassette player in my car a functional a functional one yes i have yeah i look after it yeah 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 but it's a a functional uh cassette player in there and i do every now and again if i've got a long journey i will go up to my stash of cassettes and just grab a handful and um, and that's definitely one of them, you know. That's uh, that, that's the only Van Halen album I've got on cassette. I think what was really interesting back at the time was all my guitarist friends, all those budding bedroom guitar heroes. Yeah, it actually made a lot of them pick up the piano to start, you know, doing it keyboards. Everyone wanted to play that jump riff. You yeah, know, the the guitarists who had some idea about music, you know had no embarrassment all of a sudden in going near a piano or a keyboard and you know yeah. pumping out those riffs so it legitimized it again i think eddie as an innovator he not only made the transition and kept the guitar in there as yeah. you mentioned with the solo but oh. he made a keyboard more acceptable in rock music which yeah. you know then in years to come you you have the whole glam the the American glam movement, which relied somewhat heavily on the yeah. keyboards underlying the music. So that was very interesting from that perspective. But yeah, you know, again, like you mentioned with the drum part to, uh, what was it, Hot for Teacher? Yeah, yeah. You know, Alex has his moment on the album in that, that way as well. Of you Yeah. Know, I, I'm not just a four-on-the-floor drummer. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, here we are, all these albums into our career. Each one of us is going to shine. Eddie wants to try some new things. Yeah. And, and that's probably one of the most brilliant things about it is Eddie is trying new things continuously. We've kind of yeah. mentioned it from album to album as we've gone through this, that mm-hmm. um, they never stood still. They were always looking for the next thing. And it's no wonder that it led to you know, conflict within the band because when you're in a band and you're all looking at other directions and you're yeah. growing, everyone's growing individually as yeah. a band also grows. I mean, you've been in bands, so you know the dynamics intimately. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always thought that, I mean, a band is, um, you know, 
I, I know I talk a lot in analogies, but uh, it, it's kind of the band is like a car. Someone's got to drive it, you know. So you, you've got to have someone driving a car, even if there's you know three passengers sort of thing, you know. We're not passengers in a rude sense, but you know someone's got to point the way. And I think that the problem comes when you know there's an argument about driving, <laughs> as it were, you know. And uh, I think I was going to ask you actually, Julian, um, timeline-wise, when, when did uh, Beat It come along? It was what eighty two, eighty three. Oh right, all right. So that was before. So it was before. So people kind of knew. Do you think that's one of the things that helped this album uh, become the one that most people recognise with the baby on the front having a fag, having a smoke? Sorry, didn't mean to say. <laughs> oh, I've I've gotten in trouble for that, and I live in San Francisco. And when you tell your coworkers that you go out for a pack of fags in yeah. San Francisco. <laughs> I know this. I know this is a Van Halen podcast, but I'm quickly going to tell a story. My first time in New York, I got to the hotel at about. Um, Mark's going to wonder what on earth this bit is about. Anyway, first time in New York, I got to the hotel at about eleven o'clock at night. Went up to my room, and unfortunately, I know Julian, you don't approve, but I do smoke cigarettes, and I'd run out. And I thought, oh my god, my first time in New York, where can I get some from? And so I ran downstairs, and without thinking, because I didn't really know. Without thinking, I went straight up to the woman at reception and said, excuse me, um, I, I know it's rather late, but I'm really desperate. Do you know where I could pick up some fags? And uh, she was, uh, yeah, she, her face remains with me to this day. But we soon got out of it. And I said, cigarettes? And she went, oh, she was so, yeah. Thank God. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll pop one of those in the end of my guitar next time uh, I'm, I'm having one while uh, while playing. But yeah, fags means cigarettes in uh, in UK. Yes. But uh, yeah, Mark, we were just talking about obviously 1984. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, and again, I didn't mind the keyboards. I have to say, I, I, I you know, I. I immediately you know next time i stood in front of a synth tried to have a go at it you know did you see the yeah. wolfgang put on his twitter not recently obviously a little while ago wolfgang put on his twitter look this is the way to play it <laughs> or something because people are always getting it wrong he reckons and he's actually shown you on a synth with that sound with a camera above the hands which notes to press yeah you know? well it's funny because that was one of the first times i heard like a proper profit keyboard I think or, or, or Oberheim. I think that's what he uses on that for the jump thing. And I remember when, on my keyboard, my Yamaha EX7, they have a similar setting on there. And I remember I was like, "Oh, this sounds exactly like Jump in 1984." Yeah. And I remember I was trying to figure it out, and I got pretty close to figuring out the whole thing for Jump. So that was a big moment for me. But this this album is is great. I mean, the only thing about this record I don't like is Alex Van Halen's Simmons drums on this. Just ugh. Just kind of yeah, everyone had a crack at it, didn't they? You know, uh, it just it just sounds so like zoo, 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 I, zoo, zoo, zoo. I actually like it. Ugh. I mean, that's the one thing I was glad about for night for uh, OU812 is that he went back to a more traditional drum sound. But it, it but that drum sound though, let, let's be honest though, that drum if they didn't have that drum sound, there would be no hot for teacher. That's the whole thing behind Hot for Teachers, yeah. that electronic sound. That... And it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to mention this, that there's a really, really great video on YouTube by this drummer guy uh, who oh, says that, that, well, that, that says that most people play it wrong, that oh, beginning. Sure. 
And then they're saying that everybody's playing it like they call it metal jazz. And they said, that's not the way you're supposed to play it. He said, if you tab it out or show it on notation, how it's supposed to be, he shows it in the video, like how the, the, the beginning part is supposed to be all done on an electronic pad. That right. And then it shows how you're supposed to kick in the, the bass drums in it. It's supposed to be like this really weird offbeat like in between yeah. it. And the way he explains it, it's absolutely fantastic. But he, the way he shows how other drummers on YouTube play it, you can see yeah. right away what he means by playing it completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's fascinating. I'm going to check that out. I mean, not that I'm ever going to be able to replicate it, but yeah, I, I didn't know it was that. Again, it's one of those wonderful things with Eddie Van Halen as well, which is where he often gave you things where you just went, I have no idea how he did that. I need to see a video or I need to, you know, there's, by just listening to it, you can't work it out. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, also the big thing we got to remember as well is that this is the time when Eddie Van Halen opened his own recording studio. Oh, and that's right. when the floodgates open. I mean, there's a great video online too, where Entertainment Tonight or somebody like that went into a studio and he has literally shelves and shelves and shelves of two-inch tape saying that I have so much oh. music here that people haven't heard yet. It's unbelievable. My goodness. Which I think is going to be interesting. And if anyone's wondering, we, uh, we have no plans of talking about Van Hagar um, just because I think the core first albums are really where we celebrate Eddie the most. Um, maybe in another episode down the road, we'll go into, you know, the, the other half of the catalog. Mm. But I wonder if it's going to be a situation like the Prince Estate, where that vault is now opened and you start finding all these gems with, you know, Eddie bringing in other vocalists, you know, to just play, sing on his stuff, you know, mm. and then file it away and nothing was ever done with it. I, I'm really fascinated to hear, you know, what maybe does come out of the vaults because we know he traded the three Kiss demos with Gene Simmons for the master tapes of mm. the Van Halen demos. So if nothing else, there were maybe plans to do something or at least take them back under his control. At the, at the very least, I, I know Gene had always, you know, he'd torn up the contracts and let them go um, without any fight whatsoever when he couldn't get them signed. So I'm very interested to hear what comes up off the cutting room floor. You know, do you I'm, think, sorry, do you, do you think that will happen though? Do you honestly think that will happen knowing that, um, you know, they've always been like, no, they didn't. They weren't into doing deluxe editions with extra bonus tracks and unheard stuff. I, I personally heard from from a source that I, that should know. I can't say who. Um, that that Eddie Van Halen particularly was really, really against stuff that that hadn't been sort of passed and and had been put away demos and things like that coming out. Which I, I guess is why it took the the Simmons ones so long to to come out. Yeah. Um, I, 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 for the, from the vault, not not the ones he produced. You know. Yeah, but he's not here now. That's that's where that's when this stuff starts leaking. Is once the person who had problems, doesn't it? Family wise, it depends because a lot of families, obviously, like all of us, would would obviously we want to honor the wishes of someone. My dad was in a jazz band, you know, and I'd want to make sure that yeah, you know, nothing happens but stuff. I always refer back to Zappa with this because I know Frank Zappa had a kind of similar approach to it in some way where. Some things got released and some didn't, and it didn't get released for a reason. But, yeah. you know, once he passed away and once the wife passed away, uh, mm -hmm. I forget her name now, but Gail, uh, Gail that's it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, once she passed, now Amit and, you know, Dweezil are the head of the family now. 
you know, and Dweezil's all about, you know, celebrating his father and stuff like that. And now that him and Ahmed have, you know, patched things up with each other, you know, I can see that them, you know, releasing a lot of stuff could happen. And you never know, maybe, you know, maybe Wolfgang might, you know, step forward and say, you know what, I want people to hear like these things. I hope so, because, you know, the fans really, it's a sign of, you know, how good he was that people want stuff that isn't out. I mean, look at the amount of Bowie stuff that's come out over the last few years. Or in but yeah. that's the thing. The one thing that I want to definitely hear, I hope that they get it out, is that he's been known to do a lot of soundtrack stuff. Some of it mm. came out, some, some of it came out, some of it didn't. And he did a lot of TV stuff for Valerie Bertinelli whenever she did her made-for-TV movies. Right. You know, I'd love to hear some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. It may end up where it's, it's a situation, thing. you know, like Rush, where we find out that throughout the Van Halen era, what went on the albums was pretty much it. And there weren't mm. outtakes, and mm. you know it would be nice if nothing else to have these classic albums reissued. You know, again with you know fatter books. Uh, you know, mm. written. You know, Renoff would be a great person yeah. to, to write those. You know, to package them up if they don't have additional stuff. Maybe there are single mixes. You know, just like there are with other bands. Um, I would think that a song like Jump has quite a few different versions until yeah. he found the one that worked completely. But I think also that if his wishes are, you know, that that stuff does not go out, that, you know, it, I wouldn't think that the family wouldn't because he and Alex have been incredibly tight-knit throughout their career. Yeah. Uh, Michael doesn't have so much of a say in any of that stuff. Um, Wolfgang, you know, will obviously, I, I think, probably do what's right for you know, his father having had a close musical relationship with them. So I'm not worried about it. I, I know that a couple of days after his passing, stuff did come out. You know, all right. the alternative stuff from A Different Kind of Truth. You know, just little tastes of it, um, you know, were put up on YouTube, which was absolutely, you know, fascinating even to hear that latter era, you know, Van mm. Halen stuff. So I'm not worried. Uh, we've got stuff like the Van Halen demography of all the, like, 74 to 77 stuff mm-hmm. um and i i think it also had some of the movie soundtrack material that he'd done mm. so there is a lot of stuff already out there so if they can't you know at least legitimize that so that the family is getting money for all of those things that already circulate then at least we already have it uh which yeah. as collectors and enjoyers of music is better than nothing but when it comes down to it as i told gene that time you know, at least I'm finally getting you to pay the, you know, I'm getting to pay you for the stuff that I've been listening yeah. to for years. So, could you could you guys educate me here and um, and tell me because I I've just not I, I this doesn't seem to be a massive amount of live video from that the the uh, Dave Lee Roth era, you know, certainly not not like a, a high quality DVD. Largo, um, or am I wrong? Am I wrong? I, I don't there's think a few, I, there's a few. Yeah, there's a there's a few very good ones. I mean, Largo yeah. '82, I think, or is it '81 or '82? Um, '82. It, it's certainly out there, but yeah. I mean, official, you know, on a DVD released. To, well, not to, well, no. There's more like just like like in-house stuff, like kind of how like Kiss had those ones. Remember, like uh, the sun, like, you, you know, yeah, stuff like, like that. Buildings that have their in-house filming. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of those kind of things around. Yeah, because that that was one of the problems with this band that in their their heyday they never did a live video, did they? Not until no, Life Without a Not Nets. a live album either. Yeah, There's no yeah. live albums ever until, until Tokyo. Yeah, and Tokyo Dome for uh, yeah. David. David. So, I'm hoping that there is stuff like that, and that's a, a good point, David, as well. That 
you know, maybe in the archives is a live performance that, so. you know, yeah. that they can throw fans a bone at Christmas time this year because yeah. uh, it, it would be it would be really nice, but it's so close to his passing that I, I don't think we're going to know anything for quite a long time. I think no. if, if nothing else, little bits and pieces will drip out because we know they were out. I think the Mitch Malloy demos, uh, we've heard bits and pieces of. Um, I think we've heard bits and pieces of the stuff that came from the album that was to follow uh, Van Halen 3. So who, who knows? It's going to be fascinating to hear. That, that yeah, I think is. there's a box set though, like the like the Kiss one, or like you know some of the some of the really good box sets that have come out recently of other bands that I really like. Um, but we never had a Van Halen box set, did we? I don't no. think. Not, no, not, you know. that, not that I'm aware of, and I don't see us getting any releases like, you know, Prince's Sign of the Times that just came out. Oh you know. God, have you seen the vinyl version of that? Unbelievable! It's, I've been... it, fourteen vinyl albums, and <laughs> it is absolutely great. mental that you could go through something like that. And again, Prince is a, uh, you know, I won't say a great analog, but he's a good analog, you know, with Eddie Van Halen in terms of creativity and just being able to go all over the spectrum and do it all himself. Well, Eddie was a singer originally as well. And until his latter year, you know, mouth and health issues, you know, their harmonies, they could all sing. So who knows what he was doing in that studio? Pardon? Yeah. Exactly. Well, Michael Anthony, and we haven't really given much props to Michael Anthony, but I always thought he was a really spot-on vocalist, or I might, again, educate me. Am I wrong? But, I mean, from what I've watched in the scene and, and what you can hear, I mean, he's... he's <laughs> Michael the, Anthony? He is Michael incredible. Anthony is the, is, the, is the reason why Van Halen sounds the way it does. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's the, what the, I've the re- Yeah, when he was not brought in for the reunion, that, to me, I never went and saw them. I Same never time. went and saw the reunion... Because I said to myself, without him there, you don't have the Van Halen sound. That high, all those high vocals are all Michael Anthony. Mm. You know what I mean? And he was a vital, vital, vital part of the vocals. And yeah. I've been in the same room as his Jack Daniels bass, let me Ooh, tell you. Cool. <laughs> but you didn't get to play piece. it? No, 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 not allowed. No, there was, a guard, there was a guard, was there? Yeah, and. Well, I didn't dare, I didn't dare, you know. Mark, you, you touched on a great thing about the reunion. I did not go for the exact same reasons. Michael wasn't there. It wasn't anything against Wolfie. Because mm-hmm. you look at that kid, he can play. And one of the cool, videos yeah. I, I've watched this week is him playing Eruption on Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I mean, how cool. Uh, you will never be as cool as Wolfgang Van Halen playing Eruption yeah. on Frankenstein. Another great video from, that I saw this week was that, not by anyone in Van Halen, but. Uh, a bass rendition of Eruption. Down to- <laughs> tuned, no FX, just uh, doing quick releases for the drops. And oh wow, it, you have to find it on YouTube. It is absolutely sick to see <laughs> someone doing that. All right, let's leave our uh, kind of thoughts with Van Halen there. But you know, Van Halen fans, hopefully over the coming years, you get to enjoy some new old stuff or reappraise your appreciation of stuff that already exists. Happens with every band. Or discover it. I honestly reckon there's going to be teenagers that have seen all the Facebook posts and stuff popping up, and there'll be a handful of kids all over the place, in in every place, that will go, well, who is this guy then? You know? 
and they'll have a listen. And uh, I honestly think Van Halen will go down as one of the huge groups now that they cannot play again. They, they, they can't. They could do a tribute to him and have lots of famous guitar players come and do a song each or something, but they, uh, they'll never be Van Halen again. They're, and, uh, they're, they're completely done. I mean, the, uh, the final show that was um, done in 2015, so the last ever Van Halen performance, was actually put up on Dime and it's soundboard. You can hear David is struggling, Eddie is gone, and you know, it, it it's it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think there's going to be a whole wave of people that, because of the amount of hoo ha, because um, I've done it, I've done it. I've seen that so and so from some band has, and I thought, oh, that, oh, I kind of sort of know them. Oh, that's a shame. And then I'll just check a little bit out or whatever, and you think, oh, why didn't you know? Why didn't I like this sort of thing? You know, or yeah. just discovering a new thing that you didn't know. You know. I really hope that they don't do a tribute where they have a bunch of guitarists come up and play oh. Eddie's stuff. I think that would be tacky. Yeah. It would be awful. Um, yeah. That, that. I think it'd be, it'd be like the Freddie Mercury tribute where not one singer except for George Michael actually pulled pulled a Freddie vocal off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you remember seeing that? Uh, yeah. It, it was not, I mean, it was nice that they did it and stuff, but I don't think anyone made the Queen song. No one other than, like I say, George Michael on um, Somebody to Love was pretty pretty cool. But ev- Def, everyone uh, was just. Def Leppard? Because they didn't try to pull it off because they'd done it before. They'd done yeah, stuff with Brian true. in 83 during the yeah. Pyromania tour, so that was at least a natural kind of thing. And I was only yeah. watching because it was Viv's. You know, first uh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I just think if they did a Van Halen tribute and stuff, everyone would be just slightly more shit than he ever was. You know, and it, would, just, be, it gotta, would be contrived. You know, here is Ingve Malmsteen with my neoclassical. You know, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eddie Van Halen taught me to unleash the fury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, he would say unleash the fucking fury. So yeah. yeah. All right, let's leave that there. Edward Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, EVH, rest in peace. Thank you for the music. And uh, we shall all see you sometime in the future. So for now, take care. Bye. Take care. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. (laughs) 